Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, we're talking about what's going on in Sacramento. The legislature comes back on August 12th for a final month of legislative activity. What have they done? What are they going to do? We talk with the guys who cover Sacramento for the Chronicle, Dustin Gardner and Alexei Kosev, and they talk about housing, like that's the biggest issue facing California. What's been done and what may happen? What about data privacy? Everybody's freaking out about what's happening to their data and data breaches. Is there more legislation that will protect consumers? Charter schools. What's happening with charter schools? Will there be more restrictions on them? And finally, what about Governor Newsom? This is his first semester, if you will, as governor of California. How's he done? Has he worked behind the scenes well? Next, what's happening with the legislature? on It's All Political. From the capital of the greatest state in the union, we have uh, Alexei Kosev. Welcome back to It's All Political. And making his It's All Political debut, Chronicle Sacramento correspondent Dustin Gardner. Welcome to both guys. Thank you. You you got a little biased there in calling California the greatest state in the union, but it is. It is. It is. I'm a I'm a California exceptionalist. Okay, let's let's talk about the the legislature. You guys cover the legislature and the governor every day. The legislature comes back into session August 12th. Uh, they have a sprint until they are done on September 13th. Uh, let's look back on the first few months of the uh, Governor Newsom's, uh, should we say, his first semester in Sacramento. He's got a, uh, a a powerful majority of Democrats in the legislature, and we're going to look at what they've done and what they still could do or won't do. All right, Alexi, uh, housing, as uh, voters have told us uh, both in person and in polls, is a top priority we know how much uh, you know what the, the needs of the state are. Let's let's talk about some of the stuff that's uh, the legislature's done on uh, on housing. There's a, a rent cap bill up there. What's uh, what what's the status of that? So the the issue I think with housing in the legislature is that the last few years it's become increasingly clear that lawmakers need to do something, and there is an increasing appetite to do something, but people can't agree on what that is. And there's a lot of entrenched interests on different sides. And so it's led to just some very, very slow movement and a lot of grand ideas faltering. I think probably people who may have been paying attention the last few months might have heard about SB 50, which was a big Scott Wiener bill to try and build denser, taller buildings around transit and in the suburbs and that uh, died a couple of months ago. Um, so kind of what we're looking at at this point is two um, two sort of uh, parallel tracks. One is trying to instill more protections for renters uh, as they're facing these soaring rents. Um, so there's a David Chu bill that would uh, cap rents at... Um, 7% plus regional inflation uh, at a maximum. So that's a maximum of about 10% a year. Um, and your rents could not go up more than 10% exa- a year. About 10% a year, exactly. And that's been a huge fight between landlords and tenant advocates. And it's still alive, but 
you know, it's one of those kinds of things where it's just hanging on. So anything could happen in the last few weeks. Um, and part of that whole messy equation is that there's also, um, you know, an effort as part of that to add more um, protections for evictions. Essentially, you have to have a just cause, quote unquote, to uh, evict a tenant. And that's just sort of a no go for landlords. And so that's going to be a huge fight in the last few weeks. And then, you know, parallel to that, there's there's this push to try and build more um, and and ease, you know, costs for buyer home buyers and for renters that way and a lot of those big bills have faltered but there's still some some things moving that that could make their way out in the next few weeks um nothing quite as big as SB50 but things to try and encourage the construction of more secondary units and uh you know things like that so nothing no sweeping legislation that will uh, really help spur more housing, either or development or building or or anything like that. Probably, probably not anything sweeping. It's it's really hard to solve this crisis with one bill. There's just no silver bullet. But Newsom, for example, did some things in the budget, including um, putting a billion dollars uh, for more um, affordable and middle income. Uh, tax credit and um, grants for for construction and development, things like that. So, you know, lawmakers, policymakers are looking at different ways to address this, but uh, it's going to take, you know, a number of years to to really see a difference. Dustin, let's talk about uh, data privacy a little bit. Um, Big tech has become uh, the boogeyman. It used to be the, the Democrats' best friend. But now uh, Dems are, are turning on them a little bit. Um, what's what's going on with uh, some of the, the privacy bills and, and uh, that you're looking at? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, Democrats have been very critical of big tech. Um, and last year, they they pushed through legislation, the California Consumer Privacy Act. This was in response to the threat of a ballot initiative. Um, basically, this is a, the most sweeping law in the country related to data privacy. It takes effect in January and gives consumers the right to do things like to request that companies not sell their data or that they delete their data altogether. Um, and there were quite a few bills, dozens of bills this year to attempt to either expand that or restrict it. Um, a lot of the efforts to expand it um, that progressive Democrats pushed, those generally died earlier in the session. Um, some of the bills that lingered a little longer were the industry-driven efforts to restrict the act. Those bills have, for the most part, also been sidelined. Um, so as we head into the last month here, I think a lot of people are waiting to see what kind of um, you know final quarter um, gimmicks we might see or, or attempts to, to get some sort of um, bill revived from the dead at the last minute. And business groups, especially big tech, is lobbying really hard to get back some of those efforts to to restrict what the act would do or, in their words, clarify what it would do. And some of the tech companies are spending a record amount in lobbying in, in uh, Sacramento this so far this year, correct? I, I know Google spent a ton of money. 
Yeah, I know they, they've had a huge presence here, um, but it's interesting when it relates to this act, they've really tried to emphasize the effect that it would have on small businesses. It sort of seems like they they're they kind of they 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 can read the tea leaves, they see the optics, and they they know that if the focus is on them, it doesn't help their cause as much um, because people are frustrated. You know, people are frustrated about privacy breaches. They're frustrated about you know the way their data had been used by Facebook in the last election, um, or the way Facebook allows their data to be used. Um, um, so I think, yeah, the big big tech companies have really tried to shift the focus more to small businesses and how they might have to face some big costs trying to comply with the act. Let's talk about guns. Alexi, over the last week or so, we've seen three horrific mass shootings. California already has some of the nation's toughest uh, gun control laws. What What else are they thinking of doing in the last few weeks here? There's actually quite a bit that's still moving through the legislature, and it's been really interesting to watch California over the last few years, which, as you note, has always had some of, if not the strongest, gun control laws in the country. And yet every time there is one of these incidents, particularly those that hit close to home here in California, not just Gilroy, but uh, the San Bernardino shooting a couple years ago or or the killings in Isla Vista in UC Santa Barbara in 2014, they find new policies that they want to push. Um, so we have bills that are moving this year that would restrict gun buyers to only be able to buy one gun per month. Um, legislation that would require background checks for certain kinds of components that allow rifles to be turned into deadlier weapons. There are measures that would expand this innovative program that California has called the Gun Violence Restraining Order that allows family members or law enforcement to petition um, the courts to take away firearms from people who may be dangerous to themselves or others. And a lot of these ideas have been introduced before and were vetoed by Jerry Brown when he was governor. Uh, Jerry Brown, although he was supportive of gun control efforts, he he sometimes took sort of a split approach and he might sign half and veto half of the bills that he got. But Gavin Newsom has been a much more vocal gun control advocate than Jerry Brown ever was. And it will be I'll be very curious to see if he's willing to go further and support a lot of these policies that Brown wasn't willing to. And is there support in this legislature for uh, uh, tighter gun control laws? I mean, we've said it's a Democratic controlled legislature, but these are many of these Democrats are more moderate Democrats on on other issues. Where are they on guns? No, California has always been very, very comfortable embracing stricter gun control laws. And um, a lot of these uh, a lot of these policies pass overwhelmingly, even with Democrats in the Central Valley or in uh, some of these targeted districts, um, because the surge of gun violence the last few years has actually really mobilized a lot of voters in a way it never did before. And so what used to just be a liberal position, actually a lot of moderates now are embracing more because they're tired of you know, seeing these headlines every few weeks about another mass shooting. Let's, uh, Dustin, let's talk about charter schools for a little bit. Uh, the the charter lobby uh, dumped uh, millions and millions of dollars uh, in the uh, 2018 gubernatorial race against Gavin Newsom and for, largely for Antonio Villaraigosa, who uh, did not win. 
Um, so what's what's going on with the with the charters uh, in, in the legislature? What what are we going to see in the next few weeks? Yeah, this has been the biggest education-related fight at the Capitol this year. Um, CTA, the California Teachers Association, the largest te- teachers lobby, they've really been pushing hard on a slate of measures that would basically restrict the growth of charters. Charters have been growing at a rapid rate across the across the state. Um, you know, roughly, I think it's about a sixth of um, students in the state are in charters now. Um, and, the, you know, the teachers unions just feel like this, it's something that is re- really hamstrung, already financially strapped districts. Um, and a, a lot of the bills that they've been pushing, most of them have been sidelined at this point, but there is one big measure that's still getting a lot of attention, and that's AB 1505. Basically, what this would do, it would allow local school districts more discretion to deny charter petitions, petitions um, from new charter schools that want to open in the, in their um, in their district. Um, and the, the bill um, is still chugging along. It's It narrowly squeaked through the Assembly. It squeaked through its first committee in the Senate. Um, there's still a big fight brewing on that. Um, but what's happening behind the scenes is that the governor's office, uh, the Charter Association, the teachers union, they're trying to work out some sort of kind of bigger, grander compromise on charters. Uh, no details about that have been made public yet, but this bill, AB 1505, is kind of lingering as the leverage that Democrats have to try to get charters to accept some sort of a deal. Um, one of the things that I'm going to be watching on and have been watching is uh, AB 5, um, and that's a, a bill in the legislature that would define essentially who is an employee, whether an, a, a, someone who works for Uber or Lyft, Postmates, are they an employee or not? And this is a this is a great fight uh, to watch. It's a, a very a defining one. Um, uh, the governor was on this very podcast, sounding incredibly Weasley when I asked him where he's at on this. Uh, he, <laughs> I think he, we asked him a couple of different times where he's at on this, and he said, "I'm for further conversation," which is is you know just the height of of mealy mouthness. But he's he's between two of his biggest constituencies here, and people support him. Uh, on one hand, you have big tech. On the other hand, you have big labor. Uh, he is a friend to both. Alexi, what's going to be happening with with this one? Well, this is another one where there's been discussions going on behind the scenes for months and months and months. Um, the labor unions got a really big victory when the California Supreme Court last year ruled in uh a case called Dynamax, um, creating this ABC test that made it a lot easier for someone to be considered an employee rather than an independent contractor. And their argument is this is, you know, tipping the scales back in favor of the worker who has been unfairly pushed into this uh, position of being an independent contractor with, you know, fewer protections for wages and benefits. But obviously, a lot of industries are freaking out, and not just the tech industries that you mentioned. I mean, the truck driving industry, and um, you know, all, all kinds of different, you know, hairstylists, all all different kinds of industries where um, this could have a huge impact. So, there's been a bill moving through the legislature. There have been discussions. Certain kind of higher um, salaried. Uh, employees that the labor unions aren't really worried about have been exempted out. (laughs) And we've basically boiled down to a point where it's a fight between tech and the gig economy and labor unions. And so, 
you know, tech and the gig companies, they want to get something done because the alternative is, you know, that this ruling just stands and then they're out of luck. But um, they labor doesn't like any of the alternatives that they've proposed. So, you know, it's a very contentious negotiation for sure. And is there? Do you think there is a third way? As the governor has uh, said, uh, Newsom said, you know, we'd like to find something new here. Do you, is there? A, will you think these negotiations will will bring that third way? These companies have proposed alternatives, like creating sort of portable benefits that workers can take with them between these gig jobs and things like that. But labor, you know, labor sees an opportunity here. They've got their foot on the neck of these companies. And, and so they want, you know, they want these people to be employees. They want their ability to, to unionize them that, you know, all these kinds of things that, you know, they'd be able to do with traditional workers. And so, you know, there was some, there were some whispers that certain segments, certain bigger labor unions were willing to have those discussions with the tech companies about these alternatives. And those seem to have fallen apart in the last few weeks. And um, so it's it's anybody's guess at this point what actual form a deal could end up looking like, because it, it could be some very creative, strange, you know, thing to try and make everybody happy. And this is this is Dustin here. I would just add that, yeah, it doesn't seem like labor is letting up at all. And it's not just one or two unions. It's not just SEIU or, you know, some of the um, the gig workers who work for the, you know, um, the ride hailing companies. This is unions throughout the state. I, I was at the Capitol covering some of the hearings on this. And there were hundreds of union members from fire unions, nurses, teachers all across the state coming to support this because they feel like what's happened with these gig companies is just opening the door to kind of a gradual um, degradation of labor rights. And I they, they feel like they've got the momentum. So I don't think they're letting up anytime soon. And uh, let's let's talk about something that was very high profile uh, earlier this year and uh, still is out there is uh, the, the battle over vaccinations. Dustin, you've been following this uh, what's what's going to be happening in the next in the last few weeks? Uh, I mean, I think we're compared we're prepared for a lot of mayhem at the Capitol. Um, all, all these hearings have been very rowdy. Uh, the, you know, the anti-vaccine parents and groups they have just filled these hearings. They've been very boisterous, um, and it, it's it's going to continue. The bill um, SB two seventy six that would tighten um, exemptions to the state's mandatory vaccine rule. This bill has strong support. Um, the governor supports the bill that as it's amended now, it's been scaled back a little bit from its first version. Um, it's got broad support um, in both chambers. I think it's rolling through, but what what we expect to see is just a lot more of these kind of um, really visible kind of um, uh, unruly protests. And it's really, it's spilled over um, to some very uh, aggressive um, exchanges on social media between some lawmakers. Uh, some some of the key lawmakers that are sponsoring the bill say that they've received death threats and their offices are being harassed. Um, so it's uh, bound to be, continue to be a very colorful <laughs> debate, I think. So when the governor was down here a couple of weeks ago, speaking to the editorial board and being on the podcast, I asked him, you know, some concerns, there are some concerns in, in the Capitol that he is not doing enough behind the scenes to work with legislators, to try and bring people together, to try and get stuff done. 
Um, this is his first semester. What do you guys uh, think of how he's done at that? And what, what have you heard and seen and reported on that? I think there's certain... Oh, oh, let, me, let me just add, the governor said, that is categorically false. Right. Well, there's cert- <laughs> there definitely are, are certain issues where he's been very engaged behind the scenes, as we noted. He's trying to... He and his office are trying to bring, you know opposing sides together on these questions of employment of charter schools you know he he helped negotiate um this wildfire liability bill that kind of just sailed through uh in the last few weeks before they went on summer recess so you know he has been very engaged on certain issues and and gotten things done on on some of them but i think where you'll hear a lot of the frustration is that there are big problems that he talked about on the campaign trail that seemed like they were going to be priorities for him when he came into office. And his approach, especially publicly, has been to say, you know, bring me bring me your solutions, lawmakers. And like housing is a great example, right, um, where I think there's a lot of people working on the issue of housing Um who thought they would get more support from him and have watched as so many of the measures they've put forth have been defeated. And then, you know, after the fact, after they've died, the governor has said, well, that's too bad. Or I wish, you know, they could have worked on that more, that kind of thing. And, you know, they're wondering, well, why, where was he behind the scenes to try and, you know, keep this alive? So yeah, like the, the Wiener bill, I, I, there was a poll out that said 62 percent of adults surveyed were kind of in favor of the of the core of that. Uh, well, of, of it's that hard. Bill. It's hard to say with with some of these polls because it could depend on how you word it and all that. I mean, that is a very, very contentious bill, but very complex. He bill. has expressed support for general ideas that that bill was trying to get at of building, you know, denser and taller around transportation and things like that. And the way it was killed, you know, in this committee, basically because one ch- uh, committee chair who's very powerful opposed it, you know, frustrated a lot of people. And, and they felt the same way that he has publicly expressed his support for more renter protections and then has been, you know, very careful and he basically has only intervened on those bills when it seemed like all of them were about to die, you know, and he just made sure at least one was still moving so that it could be a vehicle for maybe a compromise. So that's kind of an example of where where people have been frustrated, you know, that the, the public ideals aren't necessarily matching up. Into the work behind the scenes. This is Dustin here. I would add that, yeah, there is that sentiment and frustration, but the the wildfire um, bill that got passed right before lawmakers went into recess, I think a lot of people saw that as as him finally kind of taking the lead on something and stepping up and shaping the narrative and um, helping kind of whip up support for something. And, you know, that was something where, you know, just a, a month before that vote, there was a lot, <laughs> there were a lot of doubts about whether something could be done before lawmakers broke for their recess and the start of wildfire season. You know, you had people that were very concerned that um, anything could be perceived as, um, you know, a handout to PG&E or c- cutting some slack to PG&E. And the governor managed to kind of thread the needle on that and find something. So I think that's a first kind of big success where he, change the narrative a bit on that and maybe charters and the deal that is being worked out there could be a potential second for the governor in that sense. 
Uh, Dustin, I want to ask you one thing before we go is, uh, this is your first season in, uh, the Sacramento watching the sausage being made. What did you come, you came from Arizona. What is, uh, what has struck, struck you about how, how laws, uh, how laws are made is different in California. What's, what's unusual about, uh, the way we do things here? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, for for starters, it's very different than Arizona's political climate. I think anybody could guess that. Um, two things have really stood out to me. Um, one is just the amount of lawmakers that don't vote on bills. I, I've covered the legislature in Arizona and Utah, and it's very unique here um, compared to the other states I've covered, just the amount of lawmakers who are allowed to sit you know, on the side of the chamber and not vote on something. Um, it seems to be you know, especially prevalent with moderate Democrats. It's nothing new, but um, you know, as an outsider, that seems very unusual to me. And then also, you and know, they, just again, just to, to explain that to our listeners, that's because they, they don't want to be on the record on something. So they'll just they'll take a powder on it. Right, exactly. Like we were talking about the charter bills, a lot of moderate Democrats sat those sorts of um, votes out. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so the yeah, ultimate in Worcester. Exactly. And, and the, uh, another one that uh, kind of I guess my second observation would be just the amount of in lieu of a lot of ideological debates, it seems like a lot of debates here are shaped um, by 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 powerful lobbies, by groups, um, whether it's tech, the teachers union, uh, special interests here. In in lieu of a lot of more ideological debates, you might see in a state that's more closely divided along partisan lines, you see a lot more debates here that are driven by various interest groups. All right, boys. Thanks so much. Uh, let's check back. Um, I want to check back with you after the uh, the 13th. We'll see. We'll do a wrap up about what was uh, what was passed and that, uh, Alexei, you've been through the final torrid 24 hours before know, fingers uh, the crossed end of the session. Fingers crossed for us to survive. Uh, yes. Are you, uh, how are you preparing, Dustin, for that? You know, I, I think I'm going to go to Costco, get some granola bars, you know, <laughs> some, some energy <laughs> snacks. Start your push-ups now. <laughs> There we go. All right. Thanks, boys. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Alexei Kosev and Dustin Gardner for joining us from SAC. I'd like to thank the king, King Kaufman, for producing today's podcast. And remember, whether you like me calling it SAC or not, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.